0: Hello, this is a bonus episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kevin. What we usually do on this podcast is to, of course, explore the immense power of storytelling. But for bonus episodes, we're going to share some super fun segments of the conversations that didn't make it into our usual episode timeframe. Last week, we talked with Aaron Kirschman, who is managing editor at Wine Business Monthly and my wine tasting instructor. We only managed to include about 60% of our entire conversation in that episode, and this remaining 40% included some great answers to some of the most important questions in life. For example. What is a decanter really for do you really need it or is it just for looking cool and when you order a bottle of wine at the restaurant they open it and they pour a little bit out for you to taste it what are you supposed to do with that and if you've ever seen a european wine label that doesn't tell you what type of wine is in it why are these winemakers setting out to confuse you? Well, Aaron has answers to all of these important questions in this part of our conversation. So, enjoy.
1: Um. Okay. Quick question then. Uh, when when <laughs> when you order a nice bottle of wine at a Kevin's so mad at me. When you order a nice <laughs> bottle of wine at a restaurant and they bring it to you, and and they pour a little bit for you to taste. Are you allowed to send it back? I'm so confused about that that whole experience.
2: So a lot of people think that they're doing that so that you can see if you like the wine, but that's not what they're doing. They're giving you the chance to see if there's a fault, if there's something wrong with the wine. You've already bought the bottle. They don't care if you like it or not. They're asking you to tell if it's Uh, had cork taint, if it's had heat damage, or if there's something kind of funky going on that it shouldn't. Um, But they don't tell you that. And we don't really talk about wine faults ever. So it's this weird dichotomy. And so a lot of people end up sending back wine because they think it's cork tainted when really they just don't like it. They don't understand that that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're not supposed to be saying, ah, I like this or not. It's there's a, a damp cardboard smell and it smells like chlorine. Something went wrong here. So you can send it back, okay. on the bar, but you're still going to pay for it. <laughs>
1: okay, cool. Okay. That's what, that's all I wanted to know. I've never sent it back. It just, it's always very uncomfortable for me. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm tasting for sure. It oh, tastes okay. like wine. Thank you.
2: Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, <laughs> and there's just somebody standing there staring at you while you're supposed yeah. to be doing it.
1: And you're assuming this person knows everything about wine that's ever been invented because he or she's the one holding the bottle, and you're like, I, I don't know. Anyways, I really want to ask that question. And I, as you were talking, I'm like, I have to ask the
2: question. If any song ever tells you they know everything about wine, they are full of it. Um, there are there's so much wine available in the world. There are eleven thousand wineries in the United States alone, Ooh. and one of those is Enj Gallo, which produces and sells almost 27 million cases in the U S or no, I think it might even be higher than that. Now. I don't, I, I, th- there's so much wine out there. It's impossible to know them all. I mean, master sommeliers, masters of wine, people who have dedicated their lives to studying wine don't know everything. So I I'm just going to say, if some ever tells you that you can just roll your eyes and go Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Aaron at wine business monthly told told me that's not true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's also nice to know that we have uh, more wineries than uh, universities, I think, in the United States. I think there's only like 4,000-something universities. Um, I don't know if that's a That bad feels bad. low. I really? feel like we should check that. <laughs> that feels low. <laughs> uh, we'll check we'll that, that later. <laughs> okay, I did end up fact-checking this. According to U.S. News... There have been around 4,000 degree-granting post-secondary education institutions in the U.S. in 2022. There's also this one article by bestcolleges.com indicating nearly as many as 6,000 universities in the U.S., um, and, and that's the most ambitious estimate I've seen. And when it comes to wineries, there's one source that says 11,000. The most conservative estimate I've seen is 7,608 wineries in the U.S. in 2022. But basically, I was right about there are more wineries than universities in the U.S. I am also on three glasses of Chardonnay right now, but that's not important. I was right. Let's continue. (laughs) <laughs> um another <laughs> this has come together so well. Um another question I had as I was, you know, taking the course, uh certain wine labels would not tell you what type of wine they have in the bottle. You know, can can you explain to us why that is? What what kind of story can you infer from just the label of wine?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um so the wine world is broken out into two worlds, essentially. The old world, which is Europe, and the new world, which is everywhere else. Um, in the old world, they have been growing grapes for centuries, millennia, um, of a very long time. And back in the 1400s, the 1500s, they didn't have grape breeding programs. You couldn't go to a nursery and buy a grapevine or a rootstock. You took a cutting, a piece of the vine from your neighbor and you planted that. So in the end, everybody started to plant the same grapes. So in Burgundy, those were Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. In Bordeaux, it was Cabernet, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec, Carmenere. You know, that's how we propagated. That's how we expanded the wine industry. And in the end, what happened was those regions became known for those grapes. Eventually, the organizations that oversaw grape growing and winemaking in the area made rules around it and they made a lot of rules. I mean, so many so that when I was studying for my diploma, my head was spinning. They control what the yield is, whether you can irrigate, how long you can keep a wine in barrel, um, different trellising methods. I mean, like everything is regulated. So now what that means is when you go to buy a bottle of Burgundy and it's red, you know exactly what is coming in that bottle, you know exactly the style, you know that it's Pinot Noir, you know that it's probably seen very subtle oak, Um, the better quality the wine is, whether it's a Premier Cru or a Grand Cru, um, the more oak you'll likely see. You know, when you get into the premier crew, you know that there are going to be even more restrictions on yield. So you're going to have much more concentrated fruit flavors. This is going to be a bigger wine. This is something that you're going to be able to age. So they have all of these rules in place. You don't have to put Pinot Noir on the label now because it's Burgundy. That's just what the rules are. That's the, the grape that has historically been grown there. So they expect you to know that. I mean, part of that's just the French and, you know, that's what they do but it's in Germany too, it's all over, it's in Spain, right? If it says Rioja, you know it's gonna be Tempranillo and maybe a little bit of Garnacha, um, just because that's historically what has happened. So that's why there's no grape variety on the label. But then in the new world, which is everywhere else, you know we haven't been growing grapes for as long. South Africa, Chile, uh, the US, our grape industries are much younger And we have no rules. We're like cowboys. You can do whatever you want so long as you have enough money and water. As long as you have money and water, you can do whatever you want. And so if you were to go buy a bottle of Napa wine and it's white, you don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be Sauvignon Blanc? Is it going to be Chardonnay? Um, If it's an Australian red, is it going to be Shiraz? Is it Grenache, Cabernet? Who knows? So that's why those labels ended up putting grape variety on the label you know and labels are really fascinating because there's so much you can glean from it just looking at it not just the grape variety or where it's from but the heritage the quality um sometimes even the style of wine that'll be in there you just have to know what you're looking for
1: we uh, we love talking about labels on the show. Different contexts usually, but we love talking about labels because it's actually very funny because it's very similar, right? It's this idea of labels on wine, this idea of labels on handbags, this idea of labels on people. Um, it's funny how labels have such an immense power in our shared heritage of uh, w- the way we talk about it, of being able to limit someone or empower someone um labels are just an impactful part of everyday life and a lot of people hate them a lot of people love them and i for us it's a mix you know we, some labels are really bad and hurt our experience of but some things can empower us and make us feel smarter and understand the heritage or the history behind something so it's just funny how heavy-handed labels have on the wine industry and life in general
2: oh absolutely um you know I can speak anecdotally about labels in life, but when you're talking about wine, there's so much that is conveyed in something, even from color to font choice, right? If you're trying to portray that you have a luxury wine, you're probably going to go to black label with gold trimming. Um, if you are trying to sell a you know mass market supermarket wine, um, you're probably going to put an animal on there because it's cute and it's recognizable, but people don't necessarily take that as meaning it is the highest quality ultra premium wine. Um, your font choice says so much about who you are as a winery. You know, is it serif or sans serif? Um, is it a signature? Is it um, beveled? Is it raised? Um, is it done in foil? All of that, those little touches, can convey how much went into producing that bottle of wine.
1: Absolutely. Okay, I got another one. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm balancing out, like, deep. And then I love this. There's, like, kidding? wine questions. I'm hoping I'm balancing them. <laughs> um, when Okay, why do we aerate wine, like, with decanters and stuff? And when you get a glass of wine and you swirl it in your hand, besides looking cool, why are we doing that? And are we supposed to do that with all wine?
2: Ah. That is a fantastic (laughs) question. So the reason that we decant some wine is because oxygen interacts with wine in several ways, but the main way being that it can soften tannins. And this is really important with red wine. Um, When a wine is, a red wine is first made, those tannins can be really grippy and sharp um, and they can make your whole mouth feel dry. Um, They can make you kind of Pucker in a way. So, decanting adds a little bit of oxygen, and the way that the oxygen interacts with those tannins will soften them. It'll be a little bit easier to drink. Now, you don't need to decant every red wine. Um, The vast majority of wine that you're going to be buying at the store is ready for you to drink right then and there. But if you're buying an older wine, um, if you're buying an ultra premium wine, maybe a little bit of decanting is a good thing because more often than not, those wines are meant to age. Age means that very small amounts of oxygen enter the bottle and start softening the tannin. So with a decanter, you're essentially speeding it up and just a little bit, it doesn't make a huge difference. Um, You can also decant old ports because they pretty much make the wine, throw it in the bottle and then say here, age it for a while and you're gonna get some sediment. And while it doesn't harm the wine or it's not necessarily a fault, it's not something most people want to be drinking. So you decant to help remove that sediment. Now, if you were to try to do that with an inferior wine to age it and then decant it, well, you're basically going to be drinking vinegar and it's not pleasurable. So don't decant every red wine. Save it for the really special bottles, the bottles that they tell you age it that they tell you give it a little decant beforehand because otherwise you're just wasting your time or you, you're just trying to look cool in front of somebody else. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you really want to look cool on a date, sure, <laughs> or in a decanter, <laughs> that is fine. Just don't let it sit out for a long period of time. And then the reason that- See, we-
1: these are the practical pieces of advice we, we need on this show. Exactly, <laughs> right? Sorry, to- keep going. I think there. you were going to tell me the <laughs> reason.
2: No, this is that, hey, if I can do that, you know, I've done my duty here. Um, The reason we swirl (laughs) is to help release the aroma compounds. And so the shape of the glass in essence will help trap some of those aroma compounds and make it easier for you to smell them. Um, So yeah, it looks cool, Um, but don't get super aggressive with it. Just a nice light swirl. I mean, I see people who just vigorously are shaking this and I'm thinking, oh, that poor wine, right? Wine doesn't like to sound like that. What are these people doing? Um, Just give it a nice little swirl and smell. Or what I was telling Kevin's class, don't even swirl it the first time. Just hold it up to your nose and see if you can smell anything. And the best wines, you'll be able to smell something right away.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay, thank you.
2: (laughs) Here you go. So here's another dating tip for you guys, right? Every red wine is going to have aromas of cherry. Period. You can say red cherry, black cherry, but it's going to have cherry. Every white wine. Perfect. I'm
1: just going to start lemon. saying that.
2: There you go. See?
1: Lemon and cherry.
2: Lemon and cherry. Break out lemon into lemon pith, lemon peel, uh, candied lemon. Like, have fun with it, but they will always have lemon. And that is how you impress your date.
1: Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, this is the advice we're looking for on the show. Not enough people are giving us dating and wine <laughs> advice. I don't know why. We just had a, a professor from University of Michigan. No, actually, he did give us dating advice, but no, no wine advice. So I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> are people terrified to drink wine in front of you? Oh, uh, they used to be. Just like in
2: um, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but most of my friends are in the business <laughs> now, so I'm I'm afraid to drink in front of them. <laughs>
1: Perfect. I mean, that's that's the way.
2: Like, you shouldn't be afraid to drink wine, right? So, this is the like, if I could get one story on wine across to the wine industry, it would be just let people have fun with it. It's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be enjoyable. I don't always want to drink, you know, the $700 bottle or the 100 point wine. I want to drink the wine that prisoners made because that is so cool. That is so much more fun. I want that.
0: Yeah, we, we need the story. Right?
1: Uh, thank you for bringing yeah. it all. I are new in the end. So thank you for bringing it all the way back to time because <laughs> I definitely took a sidetrack. So I appreciate it. I yeah. appreciate that our guests are now bringing us back on topic. Kevin. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think this is very new for Gaurav.
2: <laughs> this is what happens when you put a storyteller on a storytelling show. I mean, geez.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I also, <clears throat> to sidetrack again, I do remember the first hour I was in your course. Um. Uh, I just started realizing that the best way for me to become a better wine taster was to know more flavors, was not to know more wines. I mean, some of the stuff, I think mean, some of the flavors that were being described, I had not even heard about those. I had definitely not tasted or smelled any of those things. So that that was just a really cool experience to, you know, and also fascinating to, to know that, you can turn all those flavors out of just grapes and other, you know, wine t- uh, making techniques that you can throw at it.
2: Yeah. Well, here's a, so a fun story about that, and I think I told your class. I hope I told your class. Um, you said that there are all these flavors that you know you didn't even think about, um, and we're we're going through and we're talking about graphite and gooseberry and all of these other things and. Um, knowing all of these scents and having that scent memory is really important to wine tasting. But the only way to have that scent memory is to go out and smell them and to taste things. And so when I started with wine, I would swirl the wine around and be like, it smells like wine. I don't understand where people are getting all of these other aroma compounds. So a you know, somebody who is very well-practiced in wine sent me to the grocery store. So I went to my local Safeway and I quite literally started picking up every single herb and smelling it, every single fruit and smelling it, all the nuts and the seeds and even some of the candies. And eventually one of the employees came up to me and said, what are you doing? (laughs) I said, well, I'm smelling everything. And they looked at me like I was a little bit crazy. And to be fair, yeah, I was. And, you know, this is pre-COVID, which thank God, because I think if somebody, if I tried that now, I'd probably be arrested. But (laughs) she was very concerned. You can't be doing that. And I said, well, I'm just trying to, you know, understand all of these different aromas. And she goes, well, you can't touch all of the food. I said, okay, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) And she goes, you need to leave. So I left. Came back again, did it again, because apparently I am a a rule breaker and a troublemaker. Um, And eventually this just started getting used to me. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's that crazy girl who's smelling the cilantro. (laughs) Um, But I built up my sense memory. I would find flowers as I was walking down the street and try to identify them and smell them. Um, I lick rocks and eat dirt in order to better understand what those flavors and aromas are. And that is really only the only way that I'm ever going to be able to tell the difference between chalk and limestone. So if you see a crazy girl wandering around Cinema looking the rocks, um, hi, that's me. <laughs>
0: that's awesome, amazing, yeah,
2: but yeah, Kevin, yeah. do it. Maybe yeah. don't look. Rocks. As soon
0: as I saw, <laughs> yeah, as soon as I saw, um, what what was it? Uh, forest floor. On that textbook, I was like, I need to go on another road trip now. I don't know what that tastes like. (laughs) And that's going to do it. If you've enjoyed this conversation, make sure to check out our episode last week with Aaron Kirchman, where we talk about storytelling with wine and the history of wine. If you like our content, make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen. Leave us a comment or review to let us know what you're thinking. Follow us on Instagram at lsptpod, LinkedIn, linen suit and plastic tie. We have so many cool stories and insights coming from cool people prepared for you. So stay tuned.